Welcome to Grace Church. It's really, really great to have you here this morning. I want to welcome all of you that are here in person. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online. My name is Justin Ross. I'm lead pastor here at Grace Church, and we are in part two of a three-week series called Forward. And last week, we talked about some of the gates that will keep you personally from moving forward and some of the gates that will keep us from moving forward as a church. And we talked about the gate of distractions, how sometimes the enemy will just try to get you distracted and focused on maybe things that aren't eternal, and he tries to distract you from things that are eternal. And we also talked about the gate of fear. You know, that, that emotion that sometimes is unpleasant that we feel, but fear has kept many people from stepping into their destiny, stepping into the calling that God has for their life. And so uh, sometimes that gate will keep you from moving forward. We talked about the gate of apathy, where people are just really not that concerned about spiritual matters. Um, they're just not even really focused on it, not even really thinking about it, just very apathetic when it comes to the things of God. And that can be a gate that will block our forward progress. And then lastly, we talked about the gate of lukewarmness, where there wasn't just a fire. You know, there's not a fire to honor God in your life. There's not a fire to, to reach those who are far from Jesus. And sometimes that gate of lukewarmness, I would say every time that gate of lukewarmness will keep us from moving forward. And so we were trying to answer the question last week of where are you or where are we? Where are you personally and where are we as a church? And today I'm asking the question, where should we be? Okay, where should you be personally and where should we be as a church? And you, you may know where you are, but maybe it's not where you want to be. We may know where we are as a church, but it may not be where we want to be as a church. And I want to remind us, remember, we're looking throughout this series, we're looking through two different lenses. We're looking through the lens of your personal life, and then we're also looking through the lens of your church. And uh, so personally, you know, like when we ask, where should you be? Where should you be with your health? Maybe there's some things that you need to do to get your health on the right track. Where should you be with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Where should you be in your marriage? Or where should you be financially? Where should we be as a church? And that's what we're going to be asking today throughout the sermon. Have you ever thought about what God expects when we have church? Have you ever thought about like, what does God want to happen when we gather as the church, when we gather online or when we gather in person, what does God expect? Or have you ever thought about like what church is? What's it supposed to be in the eyes of God? You know, the beautiful thing about God is we can connect with God at any time and any place. We can connect with God in the mountains. We can connect with God on our daily commute to work and when we're driving home from work. We can connect with God while we're washing dishes and changing diapers. We can connect with God at work. We can hear from, we can talk with, and we can relate with God at any time. It's a beautiful thing. But I do have to say that something special happens when we gather together 
as the body of Christ. Something special happens when we gather together corporately or collectively, online or in person. Something special happens when we gather together to worship God. Where are we and where should we be? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28 this morning, and I would love for you to look there in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screen. You can follow along. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 28, and we're looking at the story of a man named Jacob. And it's kind of a long story, but I want to encourage you to stay with me, okay, because it's very, very important. Every part of the story is very, very important. And we've got a lot of work to do, so we're going to get right to it. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. I'm going to read verses 10 through 22 in Genesis chapter 28. Verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Verse 13. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on uh, belongs to you. That's laying on, by the way. The ground you are laying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Verse 15. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Verse 17. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel. Or it can be pronounced Bethel, which means house of God. Although it was previously called Luz. And I'm going to tell you what that name means a little bit later. Verse 20. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, or it can be translated, this place will be the house of God. This is the beginning of the church. He goes on to say, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. All right, you knew I had to get tithing in there somewhere, right? All right. This is the birth of the church. We say that Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church, but I believe that's the beginning of the New Testament church. This is the birth of the house of God. Beth means house, like Beth Shalom, which is house of peace, or Beth Lehem, which is house of bread. Beth means house, and El, or Elohim, means God. This is the house of God. 
okay, what, what made that place the house of God? What is it that makes this, when we gather collectively, whether it be online or in person, what makes this the house of God? Or what makes this personally the indwelling or the place or the house of God? Bethel was previously called Luz, but Jacob renamed it to Bethel, the house of God. So what's going on here? Okay, we read a bunch of verses, but what's going on? What's the big deal? He had a dream. There's a stairway. There's angels going up and down. It's like, what's happening here? What's going on? Why would Jacob say this is the house of God, the birth of the church? I'm going to give us three points this morning that I think will help us to better understand what the church is. And and it will really clarify for us this morning where we should be as a church. We're really going to see it clearly this morning. So hopefully you're taking some notes. I want to encourage you to write some things down because I think it will be very applicable to your life personally. But number one, church is a connection. Okay, where should we be? Church should be a place where you connect with God. If you come and you hear good music and you hear good teaching, but you don't connect with God, you didn't go to church. You may have gone to a concert, you may have listened to a TED talk, but you didn't go to church. Jacob makes a connection with God. Church is a place where you connect with God. Verse 12 says, as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway, some other translations say a ladder, that reached from earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. So you need to understand this about the scriptures. Whenever there's something in the Old Testament that maybe is a little confusing, it's not really clear what it is, it's always... um, it's, it's confirmed or it's given clarity in the New Testament. So some people might be like, what is that ladder? What is that stairway? And it's not really made crystal clear in the Old Testament, but it's confirmed in the New Testament what that is. And I'm going to tell you about that right now. There's a story in the Old Testament, this ladder, and it's confirmed in the New Testament with the story of Philip and Nathaniel. Okay? Philip and Nathaniel were brothers. And one time Philip went to Nathanael and he said, Nathanael, I have found the Son of God. You need to come with me. You need to come meet the Son of God. And Nathanael wasn't really excited about it. I don't know, maybe, I mean, they're brothers, you know. Brothers sometimes bicker a little bit. But um, maybe Philip had had a lot of religious experiences. Maybe Nathanael just didn't trust his judgment or something. He said, all right, finally, reluctantly, he got up and he went with Philip to go meet the Son of God. And as they approached Jesus, Jesus saw him afar off and he pointed to Nathanael and he said, now there is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. He basically starts telling Nathanael about his life. Now remember, Nathanael has never met Jesus. So he starts telling Nathanael about his life. And Nathanael was like, what? Like, how do you even know who I am? And Jesus said, I've known you before you even existed. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. So 
Jesus is not only telling him about his life, but he's pointing out some things about his future, and he's also pointing out some things about his past. He said, I saw you under the fig tree, and this is just, it's, it's, it's blowing Nathaniel's mind, and Nathaniel says, wow, you really are the Son of God. And as you continue to read in John chapter 1, Jesus basically says, you think that's impressive, like buckle your seatbelt, because what you're going to witness in the next couple years is really going to blow your mind. But then we see the confirmation, okay? Here's where the clarity is given. Jesus says this in John chapter 1 and verse 51. He says, Then He, Jesus, said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the One who is the stairway between heaven and earth. You see, every Israelite knew about Jacob's ladder or Jacob's stairway. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't even go to church and they know about Jacob's ladder. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the stairway to heaven. I am the ladder. In other words, if you want to know how to get from earth to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. It's not about being a good person. It's not about helping enough old ladies across the street. It's not about, you know, giving a lot of money to nonprofits or uh, giving of your time to volunteer. All those things are good. But Jesus is saying the only way from earth to heaven is on the stairway, and I am the stairway. There's a connection between heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus. But again, I ask, why is this the church? Look at verse 16 of Genesis chapter 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Jacob is saying, I I didn't even know that the Lord was in this place, but, but now I know. I wasn't aware of it earlier, but now I know that the Lord is in this place. So I'm asking the question, where should we be as a church? Church should be a place where people become aware of the presence of God. That's what church is. It it may be through a song. It may be through a point in the sermon. It may be through an interaction with another believer. It may be when, when someone prays over you while you're at church. But when you come to church, you should... At some point in, the, in, in your time at church, when you're gathered with other believers, you should become aware of God's presence. You should say, wow, I know that God is in this place. That's where we should be. Church is about experiencing God. We're not trying to put on a great show here at Grace Church. Listen, I don't ever want you to come and just watch a show. That's not what church is. What we're trying to do is we're trying to create an atmosphere. We're trying to create a place where every single individual can encounter God, can experience God. Whether you're a young Christian, uh, maybe you've never been to church before in your entire life. Maybe you've been a Christian for 40 plus years. We're creating an atmosphere where every single person says, Oh God, you are here. You are here. I 
feel your presence. You are here. Surely the Lord is in this place. Number two, church is a conversation. So once you connect with God, He then he wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate with you and He wants to tell you something and He wants you to respond. He wants you to take action when He communicates with you. Notice that God spoke to Jacob and Jacob spoke to God. It's a conversation. That's what church is. If you don't connect with God and if you don't hear from Him or you don't communicate with Him, you didn't go to church. Okay, let me say that one more time. If you don't connect with God and if you don't hear from God or communicate with God, you didn't go to church. To say it maybe a little bit more bluntly, you, you may have wasted your time. God said the same thing to Moses when he told him to build the tabernacle. This is what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22. And he said, and there... I will meet with you and I will speak with you. Okay, that's church. God is going to connect with you and He's going to speak to you. That's where we should be. Now you may, you may ask yourself like, man, I, I don't know, Justin, I, I guess I've just never really heard from God. I've never had this conversation that you're talking about. I don't really know what you're talking about. But let me give you three ways that I personally have seen God speak to people, that God has spoken to me. And, and listen, God can speak to people in a, in a variety of different ways, but I would say these are maybe three ways that I've seen in my experience of ministry. These are three ways that I've seen the most. Number one, when, when you come to church, I think God will, he will give you correction. Okay, so you need to understand correction is not a bad thing. So if, if you're going the wrong way, and someone stops you and they say, hey, you're actually going the wrong way. You need to go that way to get to your destination, to get to your destiny, to get to the place you want to be. That person is actually very loving and kind and helpful. That's correction. You're correcting your course. When you come to church, many of our lives are going the wrong way and God gently says, hey, not that way. You need to go this way. Because this is where you want to be deep down when you are honest with yourself. This is where you want to be. So you need to correct your course. God will communicate to you by correcting your course. Number two, not only will he correct your course, but he will then give you direction. So he won't just stop you and say, hey, it's that way. He'll actually give you light for the steps to take as you're journeying down the path. He will give you direction. He will help you so you're not traveling in the dark. He'll give you light for your steps to take. Listen, so many people, in, in my 20 plus years of ministry experience, I have witnessed so many people gain clarity at church when it came to a business decision. I have seen so many people at church gain clarity or gain direction when it came to a difficult family situation that they were facing. Maybe they were struggling in their marriage and 
some, at some point in the service of the church, in, in, the, in the gathering of the church, they got clarity from God on how to handle a, a child that was just being super rebellious or uh, maybe it was a financial struggle and they got clarity on how to handle that. See, God will speak to you and He'll give you direction. He'll give you steps to take to get where you need to be and even want to be. And then lastly, when we gather together, He will not only correct you and give you direction, but God will give you inspiration when we gather together. I mean, so many people in churches all over the world, week in and week out, are reminded by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will just gently and sometimes even in a whisper will say, don't give up. Don't give up. Come on, keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Your labor is not in vain. What you do matters. I know this COVID stuff is weird, but don't give up. And God loves to give us words of encouragement. Maybe once again, it's through a song or a message or just an interaction with a friend or in a time of prayer. But the Holy Spirit will say, hey, keep going the way you're going. The Holy Spirit will say, you're doing good. You're a good mom. You're a good dad. I love the way that you're serving. I, I love your generous heart. I love the way that you're, you're putting people first. I, I just, I love the way that you care about people. The Holy Spirit will just remind you and you'll be inspired to keep going and to not give up. Listen, every time we come together for corporate worship, every person needs to connect with God. Every person needs to have a conversation with God. So once again, where should we be? We should be a place where people connect with and hear from God. Listen, I could give you Justin's best ideas all day long, but you don't need my ideas. You need to hear the wisdom of God. That's what you need. You need to hear from God. You need to connect with God. Number three, This is where I'm going to kind of get up in your business, all right? All right, so brace yourselves, all right? Some of you might get mad at me. That's okay. It's happened before, and I'm still alive. So, all right. Church is a commitment. Number three, church is a commitment. It said that Jacob then made a vow. He made a commitment to God when God spoke to him. Okay, this is, this is church. Church involves commitment. And for example, if, if you're going the wrong way and God speaks to you and says, hey, you actually need to go that way, it involves a decision. It involves a commitment to say, okay, I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go that way, the way that the Lord is leading me. It, it involves a decision. It involves a commitment. I want you to notice something, though, about 
Jacob's commitment. This commitment from Jacob is pretty unique. I think some of you might find this commitment to be weird. You might find it strange. Some of you might find it offensive. Some of you will be annoyed with it. But I think it's very important for us to understand this commitment that Jacob made. He does something that only his grandfather had done before. Here's the vow that he made. Here's the commitment. He said, I'm going to give a tenth to the Lord. I'm going to give 10% of my income to the Lord. I'm going to give him my first fruits. So it's like the the cream off the top. It's the first. And remember, a lot of these uh, people in these days were farmers. And so before all the crops came in, they would give him the first crop. Not knowing if there was going to be hail and, and the... You know, things were going to get flooded. I mean, they, they really stepped out in faith and they gave God the first fruits. The only one who had ever done that before that we know of in the Bible was Abraham. And can I, can I just say something to you lovingly? Like, as your pastor, any true commitment will always involve your wallet. Any true commitment will always involve your wallet. It gets really quiet when we talk about money in church. All right? It really does. But please, please hear my heart on this. Most of you know me well enough. Do you know why so many people make a commitment to start going the right way, to clean up their act, to start doing the right thing? Do you know why so many people make a commitment like that? And then why so many people fall away from that commitment or don't keep that commitment? It's actually really simple. The reason is they're not invested. They're not invested. It's really that simple. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I know there's a lot of people who will misquote that verse and they'll say, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. But it doesn't say that. It says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your treasure. So if you want your heart to be committed to the house of God, if you want your heart to be for the things of God, You want your heart to be following hard after God. Put your treasure there and your heart will follow. It's it's really that simple. It's crazy. Make a commitment. Put God first in your life. And the way you do that is you begin to invest in the kingdom of God. True commitment always involves your wallet. And it's not only your wallet, but you begin to invest your time. You begin to invest your energy, your creativity. You begin to really get concerned about things that last for eternity. Do you know why I can say this with such boldness? Do you know why I'm even teaching this to you this morning? Because God's word says, if you'll tithe... God will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that you will not have room enough to contain it. 
And not only that, but God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Don't don't raise your hand on this, but how many of us have experienced, maybe even recently, where it just seems like everything is breaking? My gosh, my car is falling apart. My house is falling apart. My job is falling apart. You know, my pants might be falling apart. You know, it's like everything is breaking. Now imagine... God standing in front of the devourer. You see, the enemy wants to devour your finances, your blessing, your family. The the enemy wants to turn you to dust. But imagine God standing in front of the devourer and rebuking the devourer on your behalf. And now all of a sudden, man, things are just clicking a little bit better. I got better gas mileage, you know? Oh my gosh, my dishwasher's still working. It's like things are working better. It's a beautiful thing. Church is a commitment. And I I have to say, the reason I can say this too is because, and I'm not saying this braggingly, I'm saying this actually because I believe I was taught at a very young age a very basic truth and principle. And it was modeled to me from my parents. But I can, as far back as I can think, I have practiced this principle of giving God first, giving Him the first fruits. And the reason why I can teach this is because I practiced this. And I can tell you with my own eyes and my own experience, it really, really works. It really does. It's unbelievable. Okay, let me finish the rest of Jacob's story, okay? I'm going to give you the the cliff note version, but I just want to remind you, you can all read it for yourself in the book of Genesis, okay? You can read the whole story of Jacob. But I, I want to ask the question, why is Jacob traveling from Beersheba to Haran? Um, let me tell you where these cities are. Beersheba is the southernmost city in the southern border of Israel, and Haran is um, right across the border on the northernmost part of Israel. In other words, Beersheba is El Paso, Texas, okay? And Haran is Canada, okay? That's kind of the idea. I mean, they're as far apart from each other as it can possibly be. So, So why is Jacob traveling and trying to get as far away from Beersheba as he possibly can, even willing to go into another country. Why is this? Well, let me tell you. Jacob's name actually means liar or deceiver. And he's been manipulating his older brother Esau his entire life. The reason that he's taking this trip from Beersheba to Haran um, is because he deceived his father into giving the inheritance that was supposed to go to Esau he deceived his own dad into getting his brother's inheritance. Esau was supposed to get the inheritance, but Jacob actually uh, deceived, he lied, he manipulated his father, and he got Esau's inheritance. What you need to know about Esau is Esau was an outdoorsman. He was really hairy, okay? <laughs> Much like myself, all right? I don't know, I kind of picture, I probably look a little bit like Esau. Um, And while Esau was out hunting with Jacob, 
Let me take that back. He wasn't hunting with Jacob. He was just out hunting. Jacob got some animal skin, and he put some, some hair on his arm, and his dad, Isaac, was really old. His dad was um, blind. He couldn't see anything, and he went into his dad, and um, he pretended like he was Esau, and Isaac reached out, and he felt Jacob's arm, and he felt the, the hair, the animal skin that he put on, and he thought it was Esau. And so Isaac gave Jacob the inheritance that was supposed to go to Esau. Once again, because Jacob lied, he deceived, he manipulated. So Esau comes home from the hunting trip and he finds out what has happened. He finds out that his father's been deceived, that his brother's been lying to him his whole life. And and Esau makes a very loving statement to his brother. He says, I'm going to kill him. All right? I'm going to kill him. Now here's the problem. Esau was a hunter. He was very good at tracking and killing wild animals, okay? So someone who would say, let's say, someone who's really good maybe at soccer, you know, says they're going to kill you. You don't have to be as afraid, okay? But someone who's really good at hunting, all right, I'm picking on all my soccer friends, all right? I love you guys. I really do. Someone who's really good at hunting says they're going to kill you. Now you better be a little bit concerned. Jacob is freaked out. So Jacob goes to his mom says, Mom, what should I do? And his mom says, run for your life. Okay, that's what you should do. And So he's running for his life. He travels 40 miles the first day. And in this day, like a normal day's travel was 20 miles. So he actually travels double the distance. He travels 40 miles the first day to the city of Luz. And that's where he had this, in, this dream and this encounter with God. And he changed the name to Bethel. Now, I mentioned earlier that I would tell you what Luz means. Luz means crooked or perverse, which is exactly what Jacob was before his encounter with God. So normal day's journey, once again, 20 miles. He goes double the distance. He goes 40. He has to camp because the sun's going down, and God meets him there. And Jacob makes a commitment, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to serve you, and After he makes this commitment, the story goes on to say that he worked for his uncle for about 20 years. And then here's what God says to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, verse 13. He says, I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready to leave this country and return to the land of your birth. I find it a little bit ironic. Okay, we've called this series Forward. But you know what? In God's economy, sometimes in order to go forward, you first have to go backwards. There may be some like Jacob who may have to go backwards to face some of the demons of your past. And in God's economy, sometimes in going backwards, you're actually going forwards. So how could Jacob do this? His brother wants to kill him. So Jacob listens to the Lord. He makes his journey. He starts to travel back to Beersheba. He stops and he prays and he has another encounter with God. And in this encounter, he wrestles with God. He wrestles with an angel of the Lord. And why did he wrestle? Because Jacob realized that it was God. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me or until you change me. 
And I guess my question to you this morning is, how desperate are you for God? How bad do you want to know God? Jacob would not let go until God changed him. And God says, okay, I'll change you. And God touches Jacob's hip and he dislocates his hip. So for the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. And God said, from now on, you're not going to be able to rely on your own strength. You're going to have to rely on my strength. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And the best translation of the name Israel means one who struggles, but God prevails. How many can relate with that? One who struggles, but God prevails. That's church. That's what church is. That's what we should be. Church should be a place that struggling people can come into. And they're loved. And they're welcomed. And because they came in, they actually connect with God. They have a conversation with God. And then they can be touched by God. And their life can be changed forever. And then they can get to this place where they can actually fulfill the vows or the commitments or the promises that they make. That's what church should be. Church should be a place where you connect with God. Church should be a place where you have a conversation with God. And church is a commitment. That's where we should be. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads, to close your eyes. And I just I want you to ask yourself, and I want you to answer this for yourself. Not Sometimes we're really good at answering these kind of questions for the people around us or the people that's on the other side of the room, but I want you to answer this for yourself. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what are, what are you saying to me through this message? I, Holy Spirit, I, I so desperately need to hear from you. What are, what are you saying to me through this message? Is there, is there something that you need to correct in my life? Am I going down a path that I need to change? God, are you giving me direction? Are you giving me clarity right now on a decision that I need to make? Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit right now is just saying to you, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. What you do matters. Holy Spirit, what are, what are you saying to me this morning? And I pray that I would listen. I pray that we would listen and I pray that we would respond. And we would make some decisions. We would make some commitments, some vows. And Lord, we would, we would respond to your voice. We would be obedient to your voice. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.